Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me, all of us stand together. I tell you what, that'll get you saved right there. If you sing about Jesus and believe what you sing, right? Wow, thanks for being here today. Um, in the dog days of summer, the dog days of summer, but uh, the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Let our hearts be receptive, our ears open. Lord, speak to us by your word. We love you. We praise you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Thank you, Waylon and Wendy, for a great time of praise and worship. Someone said we all have three lives. We have a public life, we have a private life, and we have a secret life. You've heard uh, things like people are hypocrites, they're two-faced. Abraham Lincoln said if I were two-faced, I would be wearing this face. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? But we do have private lives, we do have uh, public lives, we do have secret lives, and we have to find those in a great deal of balance or we get them out of whack. And today's world, with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Google, I'm not really for sure how private our lives really are anymore. But the fact remains that what we see in public is not always what goes on in private. What goes on in private is not always true about what we see in public. And we should keep our private lives rather private because it's not good to always throw everything out in public. Somebody say amen. amen. I want to talk about a person from the Old Testament this morning. He's a prophet. His name is Elijah. And can we learn something from him uh, about private lives and public lives? And I think that we can. He's a prophet, a man of God. He is uh, found in the first book of Kings. We don't m know much about him, even though his name is mentioned over a hundred times in your Bible. First uh, Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, who is the king of Israel, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So he appears on the scene, and we don't know anything about him until verse 1 of chapter 17. So we don't know who his um, mother or father is. We don't know his ancestors. He's kind of meteoric. He just, you know, shoots across the scripture. Then he arrives. But... He's there because he's a great man of God. Now, he didn't become a prophet when he gave this prophetic word. How many of you know he became a prophet previously in private? So he's a rather hidden figure. There's no mention of him till the verse. We know he's referred as the Tishbite because we think he comes from a place called Tishba. And we know he's from Gilead. Other than that, that's it. But the first years of his life, as we said, is private. How many of you believe God does private things in your life before he makes you public? And the private part is very important because the public part is a result of the private life that you and I live. So before he receives this word to go to King Ahab, and um, this word is very... Um, 
tough word. It's not going to rain for about three years. He said, it's not going to rain again until I say so. So as quickly as his life is private, it goes public with this word to Ahab, then it basically goes immediately back to private. So we're going to do the flip-flop here. Look at your neighbor and say, we're flipping-flopping here. Okay, don't flip-flop on what you believe, but flip-flop on the message here, okay? Uh, just, just hang with me. He goes from, from private to public, and then immediately he goes back to private. So this is what the Lord said. He said, I want you to go to the brook Cherith, and he says, I want the ravens, I'm going to command the birds to sustain you there. Now, later on, he's going to tell him to go to a different place. He said, there I will sustain you. How many of you know you have a there? God has a place for you, and if you get out of that place, it's not going to be good because he has a there. Now, this is the miraculous part of this. He goes to the brook Cherith. The brook is flowing with water. There's a drought impending. There's a drought on the horizon, but as long as there's water in the brook, he's there, and God supernaturally said, I'm going to have the birds, the ravens feed you. Now, I don't know how that works. I don't know if they go through the driving wind at McDonald's, get Big Macs, fries, takes them to the brook Cherith, feeds the prophet, but he's there for some time until the brook dries up. When the brook dries up, he has to have another means to be sustained. And the Lord said, go to Zarephath, for I have commanded a widow woman to sustain you. Now, here's the kind of a funny part about this, and I, I'm going to smile with you. God told Elijah this. He just didn't tell the widow this. But how many know God has to work on both ends to make this work? So he gets there. He, he comes to Zarephath. There's a woman outside the city gathering sticks. She's going to go make a dinner. And Elijah sees her and says, go get me a drink of water, which she does. She goes in to get the water. And he stops her and says, oh, and by the way, give me some bread to eat. Give me something to eat. Now, at this point, she gets a little upset at the guy because it hasn't rained in a long time. They're in a drought. They're in a famine. And she says, look at, look at me, buddy. Eyeball to eyeball here. Oh, okay. I'm gathering these sticks. I have just a little bit of flour meal, a little bit of oil in a jar. I'm going to make the last supper, literally last supper for my son and I. We're going to eat it. We're going to die. So, you know, cut the stuff about the water in the cake. Okay? So, how many of you know this girl's got some attitude going on here? So, he says, no, go bring me some bread first. And he asked the question, what do you have in your house? She says, I've got a little bit of oil in a jar, some meal in a, a container or a barrel. And this is what Elijah said. He says, if you will give me something to eat, the, the oil will never run dry and the meal will never be lacking. Amen. Now, I want you to catch this. She had to take his word by faith. Because it's not until the end of the story with her that she says, you're a prophet of God. You're, you're still suspect to me. So this is all done in private. So as long as this drought goes on, as long as there's no rain, as long as there's no food, the meal barrel never goes dry and the jar of oil never runs out. Isn't this amazing? Now, I don't know how this happens. I guess she goes to the meal barrel and every time she gets it out to cook, she goes back the next day and there's, there's meal in, in the, uh, the barrel or the container. Every time she pours the olive oil out, she goes back, there's still olive oil in there. How many of you know God is the God of more than enough? And that's the God you serve. He's the God of more than enough. So th this is what's going on in this story. Now, the miracles that he begins with in the Bible, you, you don't hear of any miracles that he does except the ones that are in private first. Are you listening to me? God begins to deal with us privately before he ever begins to talk to us about doing things publicly. We live in a world today, we want everything public. 
And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. I'm, I'm not against that. I'm just saying we have to regulate that. So he goes from private to public. He, now he goes back to private. Now God's fixing to take him public again, chapter 18. Chapter 18, he, he goes to King Ahab. He appears there, and he's going to give a word from God. So we have the miracle of the, the meal and, and the oil. This widow's son gets sick and dies. Elijah brings him back to life through the power of God. Then she says, I know you're a prophet of God, and then he, he leaves. He goes to Ahab, chapter 18. He says, Ahab, you're the problem. Ahab says, no, you're the problem. No, you're it. No, you're it. No, you're it. No, you're it. He said, because you brought these false gods in, you're not serving Jehovah God, Yahweh, then you've brought this problem on, on the people and Israel. And he says, I want you to meet me at Mount Carmel, bring the false prophets of, of Baal and of the groves. And there were prophets that they had brought in to substantiate the, the worship of Baal, who's a Canaanite god, and to Asherah and to Ashtar, which are the female goddesses, which they call the queen of heaven. So he, he collects them on Mount Carmel. So picture in your mind, we're having an old western showdown on Mount Carmel. So here's the prophets of Baal, the prophets of the groves. Here's King Ahab, who's very wicked, but he's controlled by someone behind the scenes. Her name is Jezebel. There's not many families naming their daughters Jezebel anymore because of Jezebel, right? I mean, don't do that. Don't, don't name your daughter Jezebel because who are you married to? I'm just married to that Jezebel. And you may not be kidding. I'm not for sure. But anyway, can you believe that a woman would control a man behind the scenes? They're getting really quiet in here. So here they gather at Mount Carmel, and, and here's the challenge. The challenge is this. If Bel is God, serve him. But if Jehovah is God, you need to serve him. So he brings them in, and he says, I want you to build an altar, do the sacrifice, and I want you to call on Bel to answer to, to the sacrifice by fire. And so they begin in the morning. They build the altar. They lay out their uh, sacrifice. They begin to call on Baal. And uh, through this, uh, th there's some things that they do. Th they, they cry out upon Baal. And when he doesn't answer, they, they cry louder. How many of you know he's not going to answer? Having ears, he cannot hear. Having a mouth, he cannot speak. The Bible says they're dumb idols, but there is a spirit behind those. So the, the false prophets come. There's 850 in total. And the nation is being challenged to, to who we're going to serve. And they, they build the altar. Um, they, they wanting Baal to answer by fire. They're calling on their God, Baal, from morning to noon. They cry louder. They cut themselves with sharp stones and they let the blood out on their altar. They prophesy and there's no answer. But something interesting happens in the afternoon. Elijah begins to mock them. And he says things like this. So look at me and smile. He says, cry louder because I don't think he can hear you. Maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's on vacation in Branson. <laughs> Well, it says maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's gone. 
Perhaps he's sleeping, sleeping and he must be awakened. So he, he begins to say all the reasons why Baal doesn't answer. How many of you are glad that you serve a God that doesn't slumber or sleep? Maybe he's sleeping. And obviously Baal doesn't answer. And then Elijah rebuilds the altar of the Lord because it was broken down. Go back and read it. He takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He rebuilds them. He lays out the wood. He lays out the sacrifice. He digs a ditch and has them dig a, a deep ditch around the altar. Then he does something very peculiar. He has them pour 12 barrels of water on top of the sacrifice, the wood, the rocks, and, and the trench contains the water. So he supersaturates the sacrifice with water. Now, please understand, we're three years into the drought. The most precious thing on this altar is not the wood, it's not the sacrifice, it's not the stone. The most precious thing is what? The water. Because whatever you need, that's what you sacrifice. If you need something, you sow it. Can I hear an amen? So they, they pour 12 barrels of water on the sacrifice, and then Elijah begins to pray, and he asks God to answer by fire. And guess what happens? God answers by fire. The fire of God comes down and not only takes the sacrifice and the wood, but licks up the stones, the rocks, the water, and licks up the dust from the earth. How many know that's God right there? So no action over here. God answers by fire. And, and a whole nation is being drawn back to God by this public display, this public display of the power of God. And immediately, listen to this, Immediately after this, he goes up to Mount Carmel, he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and then the drought is broken by a storm that comes and breaks the drought for three, three and a half years by the storm and the rain. And then suddenly he goes private again. So remember, before chapter 17, private, chapter 17, public, goes private, chapter 8 goes public again, chapter 19, he goes what? Private again. He leaves. One of the reasons he leaves is because Jezebel puts a bounty on his head. Jezebel's chastening, wants to kill him. So he goes private. Now, he goes, verse 4 in chapter 18, a day's journey into the wilderness. So he goes into a time of isolation. Listen, there's, there's times it's good to be alone with God. There's times when you're alone with God and you don't have the right perspective and it can be horrible. And this is his case. He's isolated. He's by himself. He's battling depression. And this is what he says, I want to die. When someone tells me, well, I don't think he was depressed. Honey, listen to me. If you want to die, you're not having a good day. He says, I want to die. The second thing he does, he begins to compare himself to his other generations before him. He says, am I not better than my fathers? So he begins to do the comparison thing, which is wrong. He begins to get isolated, which is wrong. He's exhausted. He's hungry. All those things factor in, in this private life of Elijah right now. He goes on a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, or the mountain of God. There he... He goes into a cave. How many of you have ever felt like you've been living in a cave? You can live in a mansion and feel like you're living in a cave. You can have everybody around you and feel alone. So here he is in the cave, in the darkness of the cave, and all of a sudden fire goes by, a wind goes by, the rocks break open, and the Bible says, and God's not in any of that. But all of a sudden he hears a still, small voice, and he wraps himself in his tunic or his mantle, and he listens to the voice of God. Sometimes it's in the private moments of our life 
that we can really begin to hear the word of the Lord. Let me take you back. He heard the word of the Lord for Ahab in a private moment, and he gave it publicly. He saw the supernatural begin to happen in his life through the miracle of the meal and the oil and the resurrection of the widow's son in private, and then he did a public miracle. Then he goes back to private. He has this horrible time of isolation and depression, and God speaks a word to him, and then he comes out of that, and eventually he'll go back public again. So what I want you to catch, please listen. There are times in our life when we go private then public, public then private, private then public, and it's a series. And each thing has a good part in our life, and it has something to give us in our life, but we have to make it right and get it right. Can I hear an amen? amen. Folks, we live in a time today that today that we're, we're in a time where everything seems to be public. Our lives are always out there in public. I'm not diminishing that. I'm not against Facebook. I'm not against social media. But what I want us to realize that there are things that happen in privacy that are good for us. Things that happen in privacy that will bless us. Let me give you a verse today. Isaiah 45 verse 3. I will give you the treasures of the darkness, the hidden riches of the secret places, that you may know that I, the Lord who called you by your name, am the God of Israel. So don't miss this. Please notice here. In the darkness, in the secret places, in the private times of your life and my life, there are treasures, there are hidden riches, times that God is calling us by our name, showing himself strong in our lives. And the only thing that we can do is to perk up our ears in that private time, wrap ourselves in our prayer closet, wrap ourselves in our mantle, and say, God, what are you saying to me? Because I need to hear a word from you. And sometimes it's hard to hear the word when the rocks are breaking, the fire's going on, everything's public, everybody's shouting. You and I have to have a private moment with God. It's important for you and for me and for all of us. That's why we have prayer closets. That's why we get away and get along with God. That's why Jesus went to the mountain alone. Everybody say alone. Because he had his public time and he had his private time. Something happens in the darkness. Something happens in the secret places. Something happens in the privacy of our lives when we have that communion with God. Now, some of you will understand what I'm fixing to say. Some of you won't have a clue. In the olden days, pictures had to be developed. <laughs> Does anybody remember that? Yeah. Don't hold your hand up. It shows your age. <laughs> Does anybody remember when pictures had to be developed? I, I remember that. You, you took them somewhere to have them developed. You know how they developed the picture? The, they took the picture into a dark room. They took the picture into a private place. They put it in a solution with the light off. And it's in that private place, in the darkness, the picture is being developed. Because if you bring it out of that too soon, you ruin the picture. You expose the picture. The, the, the picture is only supposed to be exposed when it is what? Developed. You can have underexposure. You can over, have overexposure. 
So we have to be careful that there is a time that picture has to be in the darkness, in the right solution until it's brought out that we can view it. And let me tell you what God does. Sometimes God takes us and he puts us in a place of privacy and says, you need to be there before I reveal you publicly because before you get publicly, I need to do something in your life privately so you'll be right publicly. Can I hear an amen? And let me tell you, we live in a time that that is not cool. That's not what we want to do. Our culture wants to push us out there in public all the time. Look at my vacation. Look at my car. Look at my clothes. Look at my shoes. Look at my kids. Look at my grandkids. Look at my dog. This is what I'm eating today. <laughs> I'm not against that. That's wonderful. We need publicity. But the thing we need is privacy and balance with public. So we live in a culture that's pushing you to always be in public. And I'm telling you, if you get that out of balance, you're going to struggle in your Christian walk. You're going to struggle in your education. You're going to struggle in your vocation. You will not be successful, and I will not be successful, until we balance both the private and the public. And I'm going to have to slow down here because I'm getting really passionate about this. I've been thinking about this in private for about a month. Because we live in a culture today that's going to push you publicly so you can be a superstar by the age of 12 or 13. If I stay in public in the spotlight, out in front, I may be diverted from my prayer closet. I may be diverted from hearing the still, small voice of God. I may be diverted from developing the way I should develop and I get out there in the public too soon and I can't handle it. I'm not equipped for it. I'm not educated for it. And this is what we do all the time. Please listen up. We criticize sometimes people in public that do well in public when we don't have a clue what they did in private. That's preaching. Oh, yeah, that's the doctor, that's the lawyer, that's the educator, that's the businessman, that's the successful person, that's the one who has a great, uh, uh, has a great personality. This is the guy who's all muscled up. Listen, he didn't just show up in a T-shirt muscled up. He did some things privately. Let me preach to this section over here. He did some things privately so that when he showed up publicly, it appeared publicly what he did privately. He didn't get that physique by eating Cheetos and Twinkies. There were some things that happened privately for him to walk out publicly with that physique. Okay, maybe I'll preach over here for a while. That doctor, that lawyer that went to school for 12 years and then four years, and went into practice, while I was sitting at home playing video games, and going out every night with the boys and the girls, and now I'm criticizing them because they're successful, when I didn't do what I should have done privately, then when I get publicly, I'm not what I think I should be, because I didn't do what I should have done privately. Oh, that's the smart kids. That's the A kids. That, that's the, 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 the kids that know everything. You know why? Because while you were playing Mario, 
they were reading. I'm going to help somebody here today. If it's just me and you, I'm going to hang out with you right here. Let me know what I'm saying. I try to get up here every Sunday and act intelligent for about 30 minutes. But the only way I can do that, I've got to spend a lot of time privately to do that. The people who you see that do things very well have spent some time privately honing the skills so they can be successfully publicly. You see, allowing me to mold and to develop for those public moments and for you to be prepared for those public moments, you have to spend some time privately to do the things that you should do. Today in the culture we live in, we want to skip the maturity process. We want to skip the time that we are sitting at someone's feet to learn. We want to skip the time that we want to mature and grow. We want to be in the public right now, but not spend time privately doing the things that we should be doing so we can excel publicly. You see, there's a pattern in Scripture about this. This, this is not something that, uh, that we just dreamed up. There, there's a pattern. You see, Moses, in a private moment on the backside of the desert, saw a burning bush. Nobody around. There's no record anybody being there except some sheep. So in a very private moment, he has a God encounter. And in that private God encounter, two nations are affected. Egypt and Israel. Two nations are affected because one man on the backside of the desert with no one around had a private encounter with God that he took public in the courts of Pharaoh. But the public in the courts of Pharaoh could have never happened until he had the private moment with God at the burning bush. There was a man that lived in Mesopotamia that privately heard a word from God. Abram, leave your family, leave your kin, go to the place that I'll show you. In that private moment, he birthed an entire nation that came publicly. Matter of fact, the private moment of Abraham is still on your news today publicly about Israel. But there would be no Israel unless there was a man who heard something privately and acted on what he heard privately. How many of you get what I'm saying here? I, I, I really want to enforce this because it's going to allow you to say, you know what, sometimes I need to withdraw from the public and get into the private with God. I need to get in my prayer closet. I need to get my head in the Word of God. I need to learn some things, sit at someone's feet. I need to be mentored because we have this racehorse mentality. We're snorting through the nostrils to get publicly when God says you're not finished privately because when you get publicly, you're going to fail if you don't do what you need to do privately. So Abraham heard a word privately that caused success publicly. Moses had an encounter privately that caused him to be successful what? Publicly. There was a man by the name of Gideon who was threshing grain in, in a hidden place, a, a wine press because the Midianites had covered the land. They're in slavery for about seven years and Gideon heard a word privately. 
And this private word that he heard with God, this encounter he had with God, caused a public deliverance. But the public deliverance couldn't come until there was a private moment. And so we have to have those private moments. If you have a pencil and paper, I want you to write something down for me today. And it's the seeds that never see the darkness. Seeds that never see the darkness. That never get covered up in the secret. Will never grow and blossom in the light. If I gave you some seeds today, if I gave you a packet of seeds, then those seeds would never produce the potential they have until they're put in a private place. As long as the seeds are in a package, as long as we put them on display, we could have all kinds of seeds. We, we could have a science fair of display of seeds today. We could go put tables up and we could get seeds from all around the world. And we could say, this is an acorn seed and, and this is a corn and, and this is wheat and, and this is barley and this is vetch and this is alfalfa and this is squash and beans and turnips. And we could put all kinds of displays of seeds all around. But not one of those seeds will ever produce the potential they have unless someone puts them in a very private place. This is what Jesus said about the seed. He said the seed is like a death and a burial. Until the seed is buried, out of sight, out of mind, you can't see it, but until it's put in the ground and it goes through a metamorphosis or almost like a death, the old seed, the old shell breaks open, but that which comes out of the seed, the potential of the seed will only happen in a private place at a private moment. It will never happen in public. Now, I like it in public because when I go to the IGA, it's in public. And I say public tomatoes, public corn, and, and public peas, and, and, and public lemons. But let me tell you, they never started out in public. Guess where they all started? They started in private. And as long as you lay the seed out in public, it will never produce the potential. But if you take it and you hide it in a secret place, this is what Isaiah said, the Lord speaking, there is riches and treasure in the darkness of the secret places. There are riches and treasures in the darkness of the secret places. So God sometimes in your life and my life, he takes us and sequesters us away and says, Mike, Sally, Sue, Jim, Bob, I'm going to take you from the public and I'm going to put you in a place that seems like it's obscure, a place that's dark, a place that's secret. But when you're there alone with me, you're going to sprout, you're going to root, and then all of a sudden you're going to break through and you're going to be public, but you never start public. You'll start private and then you'll break through the ground and now you're going to be public. But when you come public, you've got roots, you've got the DNA in you to produce what I put in you to produce. So the seeds, until they're hid in the secret place, until they're covered up, will never produce the potential. And guess what? The same thing happens in your life. Sometimes you and I, we're going to be sequestered away. I remember when Matt went to law school and uh, he graduated. Carrie and I was very proud of him. But he said, I'm not a lawyer yet. And I said, well, you graduated from law school. He said, until I pass the bar, I'm not a lawyer. And from the time he graduated till the time that took the bar, he was horrible. Wasn't he, Carrie? 
I just had to have a witness on that. <laughs> he was horrible. Now, now, we're trying to encourage you. And we're saying, well, you know, that won't be any uh, problem for you. you. You've studied hard. You've done well. And he said, well, how do you know? He said, most people don't pass it the first time. I said, oh, you'll do good. He said, you don't know that. I mean, he's been ugly. I'm his dad. He's been ugly to me. And I'm trying to encourage him, and he just, you know, what's he doing? He, he, he literally sequestered himself away privately. Wouldn't hardly talk to us. Ugly. <laughs> ugly. And then once he passed the bar, he was human again. But until then, he was ugly. But I'm, I'm just saying, sometimes in your life and my life, God takes us and he says, okay, let me put you somewhere. And you're going to say, I don't like being here. I, I mean, you know, I'm not having fun. This is not cool. Everybody else is doing other things. But this is what the Lord's going to say. He's going to say, I'm going to do something in you that when you come public from the private, you're going to have more. You're going to be more. You're going to accomplish more because what I did in your life privately is going to be manifested publicly. Now, there's two things I want to share with you as, as we leave. Can I just get into the sermon now? Now, there's two things I want to share with you before we leave today. Here's the takeaway. Number one, the right private life is essential for a successful public life. The right private life is essential for successful public life. Now, this is across the board, whether it's in education, in politics, in the church, in business, th this is uh, the, the same throughout everything. It's the same in sports and athletes, athletics with athletes. How many of you can name somebody in politics that had a downfall because something happened privately and it came out publicly? Okay, don't shout their name out. Okay. We can all do that, right? Now, here's the sad part. Increasingly, it doesn't matter anymore. But it matters to God, and it matters for success. How many of you can name a business person who seemed very successfully, successful publicly, but there were some things they were doing privately that caused them to go to jail? And they were no longer a success because the private didn't match the public. How many of you know um, preachers, and don't say anything publicly, uh, how many of you know preachers that's had some difficulties because some things happened privately that came out publicly and it caused them not to be a success? Okay. We can say that with every endeavor across the board. Your private life is really the launch pad of your public success. So we have to really be concerned about our private life. It's really huge. And when you say this, and, and, and I've done this, and you've probably done this, well, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. How many of you have ever said that? Well, that is true to a certain extent, except there's two things. It matters to you and it matters to God. So what we do privately really determines our success publicly. And here's the second thing, and I'm going to finish. Don't you become discouraged when you think you're hidden away. Please don't be discouraged because you think you're hidden away. God has a way. He has a timetable. Let me give you some just, just thoughts. In the fullness of time. How many of you have ever read that in the Bible? 
In the fullness of time, a virgin gave birth to a son. When? In the fullness of time. How many know God has a timing? There's a time. I, I can't go out and plant a squash seed and sit down on the edge of the garden and say, why isn't this coming up? I must have got a faulty squash seed. I got a faulty tomato or whatever. Listen, there is a time and a process for that in private to show itself public. There's a timing. It's God's timing. And if you and I will understand we have a timing, when God sequesters you or does something private in you or says, I want you to draw away for a time, whatever that is, please understand, he has your best interest in mind. And do not get discouraged because you're going to break through before long. You're going to take that private time and what he does privately, he's going to launch you publicly and he's going to put you out there to do what he's called you to do. So we don't want to get so discouraged and not understanding there's a fullness of time and God's going to do what he does in his own timing. He is preparing you privately to do something wonderful to you publicly. Publicly. When did Jesus begin his ministry? At age 30. We only have one instance between his birth and 30 that we have record of his life. And it's when he is 12 years old in the temple and Mary and Joseph has, quote, lost Jesus. What a line. Jesus is lost. <laughs> but he's only lost physically and locationally. And he says, don't you know I should be about my father's business? So this is what God did. He took the Son of God and hid him away basically for 30 years until him and his ministry to be revealed publicly. For 30 years, basically, we did not hear anything from Jesus other than he grew in stature and wisdom and spirit. And what's he doing? He's growing privately. And then when he's revealed at age 30, publicly, he's making water into wine. He's healing the lepers and the blind eyes and the lame and the halt and the sick. But then even in his ministry, he would say, fellas, you go on ahead. I'm going to go up here in the mountain because I need some private moments to continue what I'm doing publicly. If Jesus had to do that, the servant is not above the master. My friends, hello. If Jesus had to do that, guess what? We got to do that. We got to balance the private and the public so God can get glory in both places. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.